All right, welcome to I Don't Care with Kevin Stevenson. Alongside me, as always, thank goodness, it's my faithful Alfred. It's Tyler Kern. I'm happy to be here. And, you know, I'm always happy that you're here. You know, some of you know some of your substitutes, they've definitely not been Alfreds. They've been Jokers. So, oh, no. You know, uh, we'll, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Hey, uh, Tyler, we've got we got a really interesting show today. Yes. Um, as a matter of fact, we're going to do something we haven't done before. What's that? We are going to have a two-part show. Double episode. Double episode. Uh, our guest today uh, and next week is Randy Grimes. Uh, Randy is a fellow Baylor Bear, uh, played football for the Bears from 79 to 83, went on to a 10-year career with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, Randy's an East Texas boy. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but Randy, throughout his uh, his fantastic career, uh, did everything he needed to do to stay on the field. Mm-hmm. You know, as he said, uh, he had to he had to feed his family, so he wasn't going to be a guy that was stuck in the training room. Right. With that came along uh, a twenty plus year addiction to opioids and other medications. And uh, so Randy's going to talk in the in the first episode, he's going to talk a little bit about his career, Mm -hmm. both collegiately and and in the pros. But then he's going to talk about, you know, what happened and how he got, you know, how he got addicted to opioids and then really his journey out of that. Yeah. And then uh, really excited. The second half of of uh, of this will be Randy talking about what he does with with athletes in the beginning yeah where it got started but really everybody uh you know he works with a number of people who have uh who have addictions yeah and and i'm telling you randy's perspective on this uh his credibility from being a professional athlete and dealing with injuries and chronic pain man I, i'm i'm telling you our listeners are going to get a lot out of this. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. And one of the things that's interesting about this is that this is a personal kind of firsthand look at something that a lot of guys experience. Yeah. You know, so it's gonna it's really really interesting to have the chance to sit down and talk to a guy like Randy because then you get that perspective of what it was like firsthand for a guy going through something that, as it's turned out a ton more guys were going through than yeah. maybe we initially realized or thought at the time. And so it's an, a really interesting window into a much, much larger and bigger issue and bigger problem. And so I'm excited to get the chance to talk to him a little bit more about yeah. that. So when we come back, we'll have Randy Grimes on with us on I Don't Care with Kevin Stevenson. What does it mean to be a maverick of marketing? I'm Shannon Maverick. Join me every Monday at 9 a.m. for the Maverick of Marketing radio show. Each week, I'll be chatting with a different marketing expert to find out what makes them a true maverick. Taking risk is being a maverick. If you aren't learning, you're going to get left behind. You can either contribute to the problem or you can solve the problem. To listen, visit marketscale.com industries and click on MarketScale Radio at the top of the page. Stop running with the herd and start being a true maverick of marketing.
Welcome back to I Don't Care with Kevin Stevenson. And we've got, uh, as I said earlier, we've got a phenomenal guest. He's a he's a fellow Baylor Bear, and I, and I know Tyler's getting tired of all the Baylor guests that I'm I out, have. I'm outnumbered here now. Yeah, you really are, Tyler. Very much outnumbered. Yeah, I know. As, as an Aggie and as a very depressed Aggie Yeah, you days. should be depressed right yeah, now. Yeah, things are not going well for well, us. Yeah. So uh, so this is this is Randy Grimes. Uh, he is uh, a a. Uh, Baylor Bear football player from uh, my era back in the uh, from seventy nine to eighty three. Is this the Mike Singletary era? Yes, it's the Mike Singletary era. That's right. (laughs) And uh, we we had a a really nice run of a number of bowls, and I'll let Randy talk about that. But but Randy is with us today to talk about a pretty serious subject. We're Mm going to talk a little bit about his career, uh, not only at Baylor but uh, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But uh, Randy, Randy went through a 20-plus year period of, of opioid addiction, and uh, we want to talk about that. We want to talk about you know, his, his recovery and, and what he's doing with other athletes now. So without further ado, Randy Grimes, thanks for being on I Don't Care. Oh my gosh! Thank you. I'm very grateful for this opportunity. And yeah, sick and bear. It's like a game this weekend. I know, right? Yeah, we we're excited about that, and it's been a great year. So, so hey, Randy, talk to us a little bit about your career at Baylor and then at Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, just fill us in a little bit. Fill fill our listeners in a little bit on what you did. Well, okay. Uh, well, I had a great high school career, and I was able to go pretty much anywhere I wanted to go back in the Southwest Conference, and. Uh, you know, I'd made visits to Arkansas. I'd made a visit to Rice. I was uh, going to make a visit to Houston, but I came up and uh, visited Baylor. And, went, and as soon as I met Coach Taft, I knew that's where I wanted to go. I knew that's where I wanted to play. Plus, being the good Baptist that I am, I wanted to make my mama happy. Of course. And and my, I already had a sister who just graduated from there. So uh, I, her uh, her new husband was in uh, was in law school, graduate school. So they were going to stick around a while. So that was just uh, that was the obvious choice for me. And okay. and I'm so glad that I did. I mean, the relationships, the years that I had there, the career I had there, the ball games, uh, the the great coaches and and professors that I had and of course I met my wife the first day of school in our freshman year and married her after my junior year so a lot of great things happened to me at Baylor University that I'm grateful for and of course we won the Southwest Conference in 1980. That's right that's right I remember that year that was fantastic. That was that was a great year with a lot of great players, you know. That's right. Uh, got guys that I still stay in touch with even today, and that's 40, 39 years later. Yeah, you know, and that's something that I find too. Obviously, you know, uh, I, I was not an athlete at Baylor. Uh, don't count intramurals. You know, that's about it. But I think there's just something about Baylor that that those of us who who went there and graduated from there, we stay we stay in very close contact and, and I think it's a really it's a great thing. So so nineteen eighty three, uh, you know, you finish your career at Baylor and then the draft comes. What happens then? Nineteen eighty three, yeah. Well actually uh I remember uh I remember the scouts coming around right before that uh senior season and I knew that playing pro football was a possibility, but I had to have a great career. I mean, a great uh, senior year, and uh, and I did. And, um, you know, I was drafted uh, second round by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They didn't have a first-round pick that year, so I was treated like their first-round hmm. pick. But, 
I was the uh, 45th player selected in the draft, and I was the second center taken behind Dave Remington. And, um, you know, it was Tampa had just come off a playoff year, the 1982 season. So, man, I was excited being a kid from East Texas who had never even seen the ocean. I was going to uh, not only a playoff team, but a seaside town of Tampa, Florida, and we were going to start our our lives together because, you know, me and Lydia had only been married a year, and we were going to start our families together and my career in, in professional football in Tampa, Florida. We were so excited. Little did I know what the next decade was going to hold as far as wins and losses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looking back at the record, it was a little tough, tough sledding there for a while, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. You know, I talk about this all the time. In the in the ten years that I was at Tampa, I had uh, five different head coaches. I had six different offensive line coaches, and probably twelve different quarterbacks Good get up grief. underneath me. Good. Grief. And uh, four different general managers. So we were uh, we were a revolving door of coaches, players, front office personnel, but. But, you know, the one thing that was pretty consistent that whole decade was Randy Grimes at center. I seemed to survive every coaching change and every quarterback change and every front office personnel change. And uh, so that's something I'm proud of. Yeah, and you should be. You know, and looking back and doing a little bit of research more on your pro career, I mean, that was amazing. And just like you said, you had there was a lot of transitions there, and you, you always seemed to survive. And so – you know what a testimony to to your uh, to your career and, and to your dedication to that, but you know that career kind of led to kind of ended up leading you down a, a difficult path. You know, talk about the injuries that that you had and, and really those injuries that kind of led to, frankly, your 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 addictions. Well, and you know, I was always the guy. You know, one thing I was always good at was keeping my mouth shut and listening and when I got in that locker room at Tampa Bay well first of all I was still amazed that some that somebody was going to pay me money to play a game that I would gladly have played for free you know yeah somebody was going to pay me to play football and that just blew my mind but I you know I listened to the older guys because I wanted to know how how they were able to play at a at a high level at a pro bowl level at an all pro level to feed their families Playing a kid's game, and um, you know guys like Leroy Selman and Hugh Green and Sean Farrell and James Wilder and Doug Williams, you know guys that were successful every year and played at such a high level. And one of those things that I learned to do was do whatever I had to do to stay out on the field because if I wasn't out in my position, somebody else was going to be. Yeah. And I was not going to be that guy who had the reputation of always being on the injury report, always being back in the doctor's office, always in line to see a trainer, always missing practice. I was not going to I was not going to get that reputation because that's that's one you never get away from and what's sure to be a short career. Sure. So, okay. uh, you know, uh I did what I had to do to stay on the field, and that meant taking handfuls of pain pills uh, to get through the day and handfuls of sleeping pills to get through the night. Good grief. And, uh, you know, I never looked at it like what it really was, which was actually a full-blown addiction. I looked at it like it was a necessary evil because, you know, I'm getting it from the team trainers. Yeah, and so, you're thinking so these guys okay. have, yeah, these guys have your best interest in heart, you thought. <laughs> 
So. Right, right, and I'm getting it from team doctor, so it must be okay. Or I'm getting it from my teammate. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had a we had an open drug safe in the middle of the training room, so whatever I, they didn't give me, I could just go get myself. Man. And uh, so I just thought it was the culture of the NFL. So I, you know, I I, I just felt like it was a necessary evil mm-hmm. to feed my family, to be the best center that I could be, to. To play every down of every game and every practice, that's how I justified okay. it. Okay. Okay. And, and even though that wasn't the right way to do it, uh, and I and I don't blame the NFL for my addiction. I don't blame the Tampa Bay mm-hmm. Buccaneers. I'm responsible for everything that I put in my body, but it was made available to me. And you know, not one time, not one time in the ten years that I was there, and and probably eight years of that addicted to opiates and benzos but not one time did anybody ever come up to me and say randy why are you nodding off in meetings or or randy why are you slurring your words or randy why are you asking all your other teammates for their pills or 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 randy why why are you the last to leave the building every night Hmm. and pills are missing out of the drug safe nobody ever asked me that because i always played great yeah yeah Good grief. And and the cycle just continued another week. And, and and that necessary evil that I talk about progressed to the point to where the last two years of my career, I played 10 years, and the last two years of my career, I was playing entire NFL football games in a blackout. I would be home at night laying on the couch like 11, 12 o'clock at night after a 1 o'clock NFL game that I just played every offensive down at center at and I would start coming around and I'd be all beat up and bruised mm-hmm. and scratched up and fingernails all torn up and dehydrated and all the things that you are after an NFL football game and I wouldn't remember a single down that I just played every 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 down up. I would have to wait and watch it the next morning on film with everybody else to see how I played and again I always played good and it just kept it going another week. But I, that's I just what can't. That necessary evil uh, uh, turned into. I just cannot even imagine that. Uh, you know that that I mean you're playing you're playing a physical game. And, and hey, I played center in high school. I wasn't very good, obviously. But you know I know what it takes to play center. I mean you've got to you've got to you're calling out the the blocking schemes. You're I mean you've got to be on your toes not only mentally but physically as well. And I mean that's just amazing that 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 you just would go through a blackout pay, uh, phase during the entire game. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Wow. And that's you know that's the insanity of addiction, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know that's where it leads us. Whether you're on the football field or driving around in a car or walking around the mall or anything, you know that's the insanity of this disease, and um, yeah. you know that's that, that's what it progressed to. So, so okay, you finished your playing career, and then tell me a little bit about you know that transition, and and then kind of go into the you know the you know the continuation of that addiction, and and talk a little bit about your life and the impact that it had on you know not only you know you, your family, and your work life. Right. Well, and and uh, this is something I talk about too because yes, I took all those injuries and that chronic pain into my retired life and I took that necessary evil that developed into my retired life 
But I also remember after the last game of the 1983 season, I remember standing at my locker, and it was on a Monday. We played our last game on Sunday. And, you know, back in those days, you'd come in after the last game. You'd come in the next day. You'd watch the film. You'd have an exit meeting with your coach. And you'd pretty much pack your locker up and not see everybody again until the next spring, you know, mm-hmm. until minicamp started. You know, it's, it's okay. different now. It's more year-round. But – you know, I can remember standing in front of my locker about to clean it out. And I remember my last coach that I had was Sam Weish. Hmm. And uh, I remember staring at my locker and, and, I, and I remember f- feeling somebody walk behind me. I remember feeling a hand on my shoulder. And I remember hearing the words, Randy, your services won't be needed here anymore. And I had a door next to my locker that you exited the locker room at. And I just saw the back of Coach Weish go through that door and hmm. I remember thinking wow that's how it's over good grief. all the blood sweat and tears that I've left on football fields all over this country since hmm. fourth grade and that's how it ends hmm. and you know and, and it's I don't know what how I thought it was going to end but I guess I never thought it would end like that and, and it's not like I wanted a parade or a street named after me or or anything like that. I just never thought it would end like that. And I remember just raking everything out of my locker into a black trash bag hmm. and walking out the back door and Randy Grimes, the football player, didn't exist anymore. And, and the reason I talk about that is because even though I had this rage and addiction going on that I took into my retired life, now I didn't have football i didn't have that identity i didn't have that community that structure uh you know i had no self-worth and Mm -hmm. man i just uh i didn't i didn't transition well and i took all that that was just like throwing gasoline on an already raging fire and Hmm. you know the next 20 years i did not transition well you know i was so used to having somebody put a playbook in front of me every monday and saying Randy, you follow everything in this book, and you'll be successful on Sunday. And it's kind of it's kind of like that. I, I I I lost, or I wasn't getting a life's playbook anymore. Hmm. And uh, I struggled. I struggled for a long time with uh, self worth and identity and self esteem and depression and all the things that. You know, a lot of people, a lot of veterans go through, a lot of first responders, a lot of people uh, who retire. You know, we we as humans don't transition well, and and when we everything's taken away from us so quick, you know, that just like throwing gas on an already raging fire. And you know, for the next twenty years, the the addiction got worse. The 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 uh, I needed more and more doctors all over mm-hmm. town. So more doctors, uh, that got worse. Uh, my tolerance got higher. I needed more and more pills all the time. And, um, you know, it was it was just chaos. Uh, my kids and what I put my wife through, you know, the mm-hmm. new norm in my life was emergency rooms and hmm. ambulances and wrecked cars and lost jobs and lost houses and lost relationships that was the new norm for the next 20 hmm. years and, I, and even though i knew why all this was happening i couldn't stop sure. and you know I, I think i'm a pretty tough guy i've been in a lot of battles and won most of those battles you don't get to stay in the nfl for 10 years yeah. unless you're winning 
most of those battles. But man, this this addiction to opiates mm. and benzos, it it was kicking my butt, and I couldn't stop doing it, even though I was losing everything. Hey, so so talking about that, how many times during those years did you go into treatment? Well, uh, probably twice I went into residential, mm-hmm. uh, really just one and a half because they had to discharge me in my second one because of medical reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Lydia had put me in several other uh, detoxes. And that was, you know, I would go in and detox, but I was never getting to the root of the problem of why I was doing what I was doing. And it was just putting a Band-Aid on it. So, so I mean, she was trying. She was trying to do everything that she could. But for whatever reason, you know, it just never, it never took. And, uh, you know, people ask me all the time, well, what, what was your final bottom? And, you know, every bottom that I hit had a trap door in hmm. it. But seems like that spring and summer of 2009, I, I, a guy that I'd played with in Tampa, Tom McHale, I'd played a lot of games with him. He played right beside me at mm-hmm. right guard. He passed away, and he was doing the exact same thing I was doing, and that was self-medicating his injuries that he got while he played for the Bucks. And one morning, he just didn't wake up. Good. Group. So, How old so was he? Tom, Tom's passing away, and I was having a series of seizures. You know, I was, I was having – two or three seizures every day as a result of withdrawal. My daughter wouldn't let me come around my first grandson. So it was like a perfect storm was brewing in that spring and summer of 2009. And that's when I finally stand up and said, listen, I, I can't do this. I've got to have some help. Huh. So, so tell me a little bit about, you know, the, the treatment program that finally worked for you. Well, and when I came into treatment in September 22nd, 2009, there was not a program out there for former players, former oh. NFL players. And uh, it just so happens that whoever Lydia taught my wife talked to at the NFL office knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody. And that's how I got to uh, the treatment center in Florida that I went to. And... Um, you know, I, I came in with a plan. I needed to have some surgeries to get out of the chronic pain that I was in. So I, I came in and I detoxed for three weeks. I went off and I had the surgeries that I needed. I came back and detoxed for another week to get off the hospital meds they gave me. And then for the next 60 days, I really dove into the underlying issues that made Randy Grimes do what he did. And you know, I found out so much about myself mm-hmm. in that 60 days. I really did some hard work. I really, I was desperate. I was desperate to get my life back and to get my relationships back and, and to heal the, the damage that I'd done to my family. And uh, so I really, I really buckled down and I worked on that self-esteem and those mm-hmm. identity issues. And basically what it amounted to is that I finally grieved the death of that career. Yeah. You know, yeah. And that's Randy right. Grimes. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a grieving process. You know, it was an ending and, and you just, you never had that opportunity to, to grieve and, and to work through that. Or yeah. I, you know, you're, you're right. Or I just never took advantage of the opportunity yeah. to do it somewhere along the line, but that's exactly what it was. Hmm. And, and, uh, you know, once I got past all that and I worked through that, it was just, uh, it was almost like at the same time I was reinventing myself, 
Yeah. And uh, that's when I came up with this idea to start working with former athletes. And, uh, you know, after I got about a year sober, even though I was doing all the groundwork, after I got about a year clean and sober, I started this program working with the NFL, with Player Care Foundation. And uh, helping guys that I'd played with and guys that I'd played against. Guys that I knew were out there doing the exact same thing that I was doing. And, and, and you know, it's like that warrior mentality that us guys are raised with. You know, our dads our dads teach us that because that's how their dads taught them. And that's mm-hmm. how you pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and get back in the game. You know, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and big boys don't cry and all that stuff. You know? Wow. I tell you, Tyler, that opened some eyes. It did open some eyes. You know, and, and that's not the first time I've heard about guys that leave that professional mm-hmm. environment where their lives are so structured, right? And then once they leave that, that place, that, that spot in their lives and kind of move out of it, it's like, what do I do now? Yeah. Like my entire day was dictated to me pretty much, you know, from waking up to going to bed yeah. simply by virtue of the fact that I was an athlete. So, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, you're told you're told when to get up, when to go, when to go to work out, what yeah. to eat, what to do. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, like Randy said, you walk out that door after being told, hey, your services aren't aren't needed anymore. Sure. And then what do you do? Mm. I mean, you you go from a totally structured day to, hey, Randy, it's up to you to do what you want to do today. Yeah. And, and, you know, like you said, he'd been playing football since fourth grade. Yeah. And, and you know, what what a – yeah, it's that grieving process. You mm-hmm. know, you, it's something that you have loved is no longer there for you. Yeah. And, and I think what really, what really interested me uh, during this discussion – was him talking about that transition mm-hmm. and and trying to deal with that on top of you know frankly horrific chronic pain yeah you yeah. know uh, and so uh, it makes it, it really I guess I I could see where somebody would fall into uh, fall into an addiction from that if mm-hmm. if they just didn't have that structure it's why I don't fault guys for sticking around maybe longer than they should in the game because some people look at it and say oh he should have hung it up while he was still good or while mm-hmm. he was still ahead or you know Brett Favre coming back yeah. multiple yeah. different times or things along those lines but I have a harder time faulting them when I think about how big of a life change that mm-hmm. is and how large the transition is that it's bigger than just oh I I you know think I'm still good it's more I don't know how to live life outside yeah. of this structure that I've had in place since I was fourth grade or whatever, sure. you know, however old it is and finding self-worth and value outside of the game, I think can be really hard for guys. Yeah. Well, and, and it's like, I mean, you know, it, it, it's, it's a death and you're, you're yeah. losing, you're losing your family. Yeah. I mean, not your, not your family family, well, but your team. Family. And we've seen guys that it's surprising to, you know, junior say who always seemed yes. like such a happy go lucky yes. guy who, you know, all of the various combination of things that, that occurred post retirement eventually took his own life, you know, yeah. because it's, it's hard to deal with. And a guy that was always thought of as jovial, you know, smile mm-hmm. on his face kind of guy is still able to succumb to it. So that all of that just to say, this is a really difficult transition. And so hearing him talk about it was yeah. absolutely fascinating. And, and you know, 
and it's not just athletes. Mm-hmm. It's it's anybody. It's somebody changing careers. It's somebody, you know, uh, going through another any kind of transition like that. You know, there there needs to be that time for for grieving and acceptance of that. But then again, throwing in the aspect of chronic pain. Yeah. So Oof. so, you know. I think I'm looking forward to hearing what Randy's doing, you know, doing now, right. you know, we started back in 2010 working originally with athletes, but he's, he's working with, with a number of people today. Yeah. And, and so our next, next episode, we'll be talking about that. Uh, so Tyler, we're going to wrap up today with a, with a big old bow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, uh, an open-ended bow of an sorts. An open-ended bow, yeah. It, it, yeah. We're not going to fully tie this bow yet. If we're you gonna, enjoyed this one, be sure to be here next week. Next week's is going to be incredible. So thanks for listening to I Don't Care, and we'll be back with you next week. You are listening to MarketScale, the leader in B2B content creation. 